Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. podcast this is the hopeful i mean again only if you actually want aliens to show up and if you don't want aliens to show up then this is going to be the sad one yeah if you're like uh, a native american or something like that you'd probably start to be worried about the consequences of meeting aliens but uh, right uh because they met aliens once too and it did not go well wait what There was this because guy. of Indiana Jones. I got there. There we go. I got there. Okay. It took me a sec. I thought you were leading me down an actual path of history and knowledge, but you were just deceiving me with your movie lies. There's probably an ancient aliens video on a video. Wow. I've become so interneted that uh, now <laughs> everything's I, a video. It's true. I actually can't stop calling movies or episodes of TV shows. I just go to video now. <sighs> That's incredible. Well, look, I would love to talk about crystal skulls. First, we have to know, do aliens exist? Could they exist? Have they been here? I don't know. Is Superman a real being? Well, if there are aliens, I doubt they have spit curls is the thing. (sighs) What if they're just spit curls? What if we find a planet that's just full of spit curls? I mean... Weirder things have happened. That's the new Star Wars planet. You know how every Star Wars planet is like, take one thing from Earth and make a whole planet out of it? Mm-hmm. Spit curl planet. There we That's go. It. So welcome to It's Probably Not Aliens. <laughs> welcome to the show. It's probably not aliens. My name is Scott Nicewander. I guess. I don't know who should introduce themselves first. I'm going to take that only because you are the smart one and I need something in this <laughs> podcast. It's all right. Uh, I'm Tristan Johnson. And today we're uh, continuing our journey to figure out, could aliens be out there? Could they not be out there? I think last time we talked about a lot about, here's the evidence that there are the theories that there might not be aliens. But now we're talking about what's the ideas that there might be? Right. Yeah. So I think that this discussion on the Fermi paradox and this bigger question about whether or not aliens are like a thing that are out there is an important question to sort of frame this whole series for talk about ancient aliens and ancient astronaut theorists definitely come down on a very specific answer to this. But I do think that this question does loom over our heads when it comes to WTF, where's my UFO? It's a lot of acronyms you just threw at me just then. <laughs> yeah. And so because, you know, we, w- we don't want to really think that we live in a big, empty, sterile universe, 
No. We we reach for for different answers. And in many ways, ancient aliens is a way to, I mean, there's a lot of different interpretations on why people believe it that range from hopeful thinking to uh, some sort of racist overtones I'm sure we'll get to later on. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> nice. That's pleasant. Yikes. Oh, yeah, yeah. No avoiding that. But in many ways, it's a way to try and answer, like, where are these aliens we keep hearing about? We see them all the time on TV. We do. The universe is so big, and yet we haven't seen any even evidence that they exist. So the last episode, we talked a little bit about reasons why alien intelligence might be rare. Maybe there's something about this planet, this solar system, or some of the things that what are called great filters led to human intelligence with rocket ships and lattes being extremely rare to the point where we might not, we might be the only people in the entire galaxy. But today we're going to look at two other answers. That is either that aliens are here or were here, Mm. which I think is sort of the answer that a lot of ancient astronaut theorists go through, obviously, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or that they do exist. They are out there somewhere, but for some reason we just haven't been able to capture uh, the signs that they exist or communications from them. Right. And that's what we're going to start with. I want everyone to know, if you hadn't figured out from the last episode, Tristan is the smart, well-researched <laughs> one. But I want to throw in one interesting space fact that I know. Uh, you had mentioned spaceships and lattes. And I think, if my memory serves, there was like some sort of space art project many years ago that like combined all of the colors of the universe together to create like this kind of neutral, like what is the average color of the universe? And it's this very washed out kind of pale brown color. And the official name for it is, I believe the cosmic latte. So there you go. You were, you were pulling some sort of random, human artifact out of your head with lattes, but you hit it. We're back on space talk. Excellent. Yeah. So much like the cosmic background noise. um, I don't know. There's, there may be reasons why, despite the fact that we've got all of those big satellites, you know, the one you saw in GoldenEye and uh, the one you saw in contact and Mm. all of the telescopes. How come we haven't seen anything? What's the deal? Yeah. So here are some answers. Uh, The first one has to do with, I think, a thing that we can all agree upon, which, well, I guess there's those people who think the Earth is flat or whatever, but space is big. (laughs) Space is pretty big. That's Um, the one thing I know about it. And if there's one thing we've learned in the last hundred years is that there are limits to how much we can go to the far reaches of space. There's limits of propulsion based on a fundamental speed limit on the universe, which is the speed of light, because it would to accelerate something to the speed of light would essentially, if you look at the math, take infinite energy. Now we talked a little bit last week about how there might be a workaround on that. That is physically possible, which makes this question a lot more um, Mm. questionable. Uh, But there is a possibility that aliens do exist, but that somehow communicating across interstellar distances is just somehow not possible. Mm, Yeah. It could be that radio waves, which is the main thing that we look out for, 
just uh, get fuzzy to the point of being unintelligible from background noise from that latte um, yeah. after a certain amount of light years. And the closest star to us, which is Proxima Centauri, is only a few light years away. But if radio waves just sort of dissipate in a way, it might be that mm. we just don't see it. I get you. There could be communications, but by the time that it gets to us, it's deteriorated so much. It just doesn't look like anything. Mm-hmm. And if there is this idea, this assumption that all life will once it becomes sufficiently intelligent and able to go to other stars, mm-hmm. that because we can't communicate with other stars, that it would make, well, it would make colonizing impossible because you don't want to travel thousands of years on a generation ship to arrive in a solar system to find out that, you know, all of the habitable planets have already been taken by its indigenous life forms. Right. Can't have that. That feels eerily similar to just things I've heard throughout our history. And mm-hmm. I don't want to do any, I don't want to repeat those mistakes. Yeah. Could also be that the issues of traveling or communicating across space are so vast that no species really expands past their solar system because traveling several light years, like even to go to Proxima Centauri would take so long that we really can't design a ship that could do that. That could withstand the entropy of that many centuries of travel. That's fair. What if you made it out of adamantium from (laughs) X-Men? I mean, if we can make up a new uh, material, then sure. Uh, We can make all sorts of fun things. (laughs) Yeah. This is why I'm here, everyone. I have... I have generic comic book references. But the other thing, too, that people have thought of, and this actually fits a lot with the seemingly weird coffee theme that we've decided to go on today. Yeah, why not? Which is something called percolation theory. (laughs) That is quite fitting. So there's this idea that colonization, like technological travel from one star to another, might have a maximum range. In which case, then... Any given life form on a star would only be able to travel to another star that was within that range. And you could like leapfrog across the universe, right? Yeah. So maybe aliens have like leapfrogged across the universe, but we're sort of in a pocket that their percolation of stars like going through because they can only go to ones that they have like ranged access Mm. just hasn't uh, just is out of the way. That's interesting. That's like, yeah, so we're, they've got this whole network of stars and planets and we're just like, we're just like a little bit too far. Can't quite get there. There's a problem with this one though. And that is, it sort of is based on the assumption that our stars are immobile while our stars are constantly moving around. So at some point we would have probably entered into the range of something, but it is one that has been thrown out there. So another answer is possibly that there just hasn't been enough time to have intelligent species settle the whole galaxy. You know, maybe our estimates that it would only take a few million years are off. But this also falls flat because even the most conservative estimates say that it would take about 500 million years to really have like one species start on one star and make it to the other side of the galaxy through colonization efforts. And that really isn't long in the scope of time of our universe. Yeah. Our sun, the sun that is in our solar system is, uh-huh. is 4.6 billion years old, 
which means that an alien species, even conservatively, could have would have colonized past this system like nine times by now. <laughs> you say 500 million years. That's a conservative estimate of how long it would take for like a technological species rising on one planet and slowly colonizing out from its star and moving to the other side of the galaxy 100,000 light years away. That's not too long. I feel like I could wait for that. Yeah. How many times do you think I could watch through The Office in 500 million years? I bet that there is a way to actually answer that question. <laughs> okay. I don't even watch The Office. I just pulled that out of my hat because it feels like a thing that people watch on repeat a bunch. Yeah, I suppose. my my I have uh, 30 Rock for that, so. Uh, that's a, you know what? I'm going to say it. That's a better show than The Office. 30 Rock is the only show that I have watched all the way through more than once. And if you do it, you know, a couple dozen times... That's 500 million years right there. Maybe more than a few dozen. The other idea is that maybe there's one thing that's unique about humans, and that is humans have a unique and strange desire to want to colonize the rest of the universe and also say hello to everyone we meet. (laughs) Maybe everyone else just doesn't think that meeting new life forms and uh, colonizing new worlds is really a thing that they want to do. And that's just a weird thing that we think is obvious. All the other aliens are introverts. They just want to stay home. They're like, I don't want to meet new people. I like the people that I have. And that's enough for me. Yeah. I mean, maybe they don't invent capitalism and think that they need to grow infinitely forever. You know, that's a big one. Yeah, for sure. We can only hope. Or maybe uh, and this is a fun one. Maybe in the technological development of intelligent species, what they invent before they invent spaceships that can go between stars is virtual realities or mind uploading. And that we just upload ourselves sort of to the digital cloud. Ah. And instead of colonizing out into the universe, we sort of colonize in into the infinite spaces of our imagination and computers and such. I've seen Ready Player One. I've actually not seen it. But I think that's the idea, this big infinite world. Although doesn't Ready Player Two have them colonizing space then? Make up your mind, (laughs) Ernest Klein or whatever your name is. But it could be possible that we will go into space, we will find other stars, and find that every species at some point in its development develops something like San Junipero from Black Mirror, and we just upload our minds to this digital space and just explore the infinite reaches of computer stuff. And that yeah. if you're a brain or if you're like a, di- if you know your brain is uploaded to a digital format and you have infinite things to explore around the universe that doesn't require building things physically, mm-hmm. then maybe going to another star system, which could be a risk mm-hmm. is not important to you anymore. Tristan, who's to say we haven't already done that? That is actually that is actually another answer that we could we could tend. <laughs> one of the answers is that there uh, that there are aliens out there that they have interacted with us, and that is that they have built a simulation that we are agents within. So oh, that's pretty fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the other the other thing is that it could be that our type of solar system or solar system in general aren't very attractive. So civilizations that are advanced enough to leave their stars aren't looking for stars like ours. They want nothing to do with us. They look at, they take one look at us and they're like, honestly, I can find something better somewhere else. In a way, the idea is that a sufficiently advanced alien species 
a lot of experts would think is probably going to be post-biological and that their interest is going to be in looking to settle and colonize uh, star systems that are a lot more stable mm. uh, sources of energy than ours. Because our star is sort of a medium-sized one that's going to burn for another billion years or so and then turn into a white dwarf. While there are red stars, there are small red stars that they could go. And these mm. are going to last for much, much, much longer. They're way more stable than our star and that it would be a much better investment. And there are some astrobiology people who think that these might be the better candidates for life than stars like ours because mm. they are much more mild in their radiation output and they last a hell of a long time, which gives a lot more time for you to evolve. But also these stars would also be a lot darker than ours. So right. an example like plant life that evolved on there would be black instead of green. Uh -huh. And it would be always like sort of twilight dim, even in like the middle of the day there. Well, you know what other planet had a red sun? Oh, yes. That's that's Krypton. Krypton had a red sun. And I don't see Krypton hanging around anymore, so I think we won that one. Did their star explode or did the planet explode? The planet exploded. The star is probably fine. They just they were just mining too many, you know, materials from the earth and, and didn't pay attention to climate change and whatnot. It's a climate change metaphor, Krypton. Oh. Yeah. Didn't know that. Uh the other thing is that the way they communicate is not a way that we know how to read. We kind of assume that they're communicating with radio waves or lasers or something like that. And that it could be that the method they use to communicate is one that we haven't figured out mm. or that the way they communicate is stuff that we don't understand. Uh, one example that might be interesting is that when we do radio listening to try and find alien life, we tend to look in a range uh, because we're, we can't just listen to everything all at once. And so we've kind of made this executive decision that aliens that are trying to reach out to other life forms are going to be based on water. And so they take the sort of resonant frequency of water and look in that spectrum because that's the thing that we would look for. Oh. We also make other assumptions, like say that one way that they can make a signal that would be for sure intelligent life is that they would start broadcasting prime numbers. And like, we don't know if alien mathematics will develop that way. We don't know if yeah. water uh, is a thing that they think to do for their communication. But we are, this is sort of like the argument that groups like uh, SETI mm -hmm. would make. Seth Shostak, who works at SETI, has made the argument that it could be just that their thoughts of communication are uh, not to instantly go to things that we would assume to work. Or that we just haven't pointed our telescopes in the right direction or listened long enough because yeah. we're just sort of taking little tiny listens of the cosmos. We're just like taking tiny little slim shots in the dark and then being like, well, we've looked everywhere and we haven't seen anything when we've only really seen like a little tiny fraction ah. of what's out there to listen to. Would it, could it be possible that like, as you say, we're, we're looking into these tiny little slivers of the universe, if like a message is out there, would it be almost akin to like what we're getting 
is a scribbled half of the letter B. And we're just like, well, that's nothing. And it's like, well, you only got a little bit of it, though. Yeah, it could be that they the way that they communicate information is completely something that would make would be obvious for them, but wouldn't be obvious for yeah. us. They, they could be blasting Earth with all sorts of signals and we are just looking in the wrong places. And they're just like, why aren't these guys picking up? We're trying. We're trying so hard. Yeah. The other thing is that there have been a few cases where there was something that might have been an alien communication, but because it wasn't repeated and because we didn't hear follow ups, we assume that because you know how the scientific method works, the null hypothesis or Occam's razor, that the answer with the fewest amount of assumptions is probably true, that assuming that that when we got these signals, we would assume that it was a natural phenomenon something strange, but not something necessarily intelligent. But it's just because we happen to intercept a message mid-transmission or something. One example would be the wow signal, which is this uh, famous radio telescope signal that came through where we got this extremely regular energy pattern one time from one star. And we've been listening to that star ever since, and we haven't heard anything since. But who knows? We could have intercepted something. We don't know. But I've only gotten a little that little snippet. a little bite, a little nibble. And as I mentioned, a lot of their work is based on mathematics. Mm-hmm. A lot of like our assumptions on how they communicate is based on mathematics. And we don't know how alien life would think to yeah. do math. I have a hard time with the way that we currently do math. So I can only imagine trying to figure out alien math. As I mentioned, there is the idea that we haven't been listening yeah. long enough like the Seth Shostak argument. But what falls flat for that is like if the Fermi paradox has an answer and that is, if that is the answer that we just haven't been listening long enough to get their evidence, mm-hmm. then other assumptions are true, which means that we're swimming in alien life. So the idea that we haven't been listening long enough falls flat because even if that was the case, like we would be surrounded by multiple layers of alien life that is constantly broadcasting. We'd be being bombarded. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'd be bathing in it. I see what you're saying. The other one is that we're all listening and no one's transmitting because the amount of energy needed to transmit a signal to other planets or other stars is so immense, but the amount of energy needed to listen is not very high. And so It could be because sending out a message that would not be very tight and directed, like if they didn't already know that there was life on our star and they just wanted to send something blanket out to everybody, that would require an immense amount of energy Mm. uh, and maybe no alien life thinks to do it. We're not doing it. Yeah, we're not doing it. Look at us. Hypocrites. We're not doing anything. Uh, Then there was also the Stephen Hawking hypothesis. Mm-hmm. This is one of the more spooky ones. I like I like it. One of the reasons why we might not be seeing alien species that broadcast their locations is because something about broadcasting your location results in your civilization no longer existing because maybe advanced civilizations that are out uh, there basically uh. are listening for people who are broadcasting the location and destroy them before they can have a chance to be a competitor for resources. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, I hate that. And so the smart aliens are hiding. (laughs) Oh, they're hiding. I don't like that. 
But again, I guess we're kind of, like, we because we haven't transmitted anything, we're also maybe unintentionally hiding, but we're right now, we're just like, we're just listening. We're just peeking around that corner, seeing if anyone's out there. We won't let you know if we're here. No, 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 not yet. Yeah, <laughs> because it could be that if a intelligent species is dedicated to its own um, propagation and doesn't care, like doesn't have the same value on the human life or human spirit or whatever. Yeah. uh, That they would think, okay, well, if we're an intelligent species and we want to maintain our existence, if you want to survive in an ecosystem, you remove competition. So they would just cut them down before they get too tall. You know, Tristan, can I tell you, I don't see this working out too great for humans because I have the feeling and maybe you disagree here, but I have the feeling that if and when we are able to traverse to other planets and stars and we can colonize other worlds, I get the feeling that we're going to step out into the universe thinking that we are untouchable and unbeatable. And we, how I dare you to come challenge the human race. And then a big, powerful alien species who's been doing this for millennia is going to come along and be like, okay, cool deal. And then that's it for us. Yep, that there's a there's a good scary science fiction story in that somewhere. But yeah, and it would not be like a heroic like I think this is sort of the plot of some attempt at Steven Spielberg to make a science fiction TV show at one point. It would not be like a thing that we would survive. No. They would be like they could be potentially millions of years ahead of us in technological yep. development and we would just be gone. <laughs> When we would just have egos as if we were the same as them. And yeah. we we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we can take you. Absolutely cannot take them. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that there is a great filter, mm-hmm. but it's ahead of us. Uh-huh. And that is that alien life wipes itself out before it gets too far. Yeah, this is, we were talking about the filters last time and you saying it's unknown if the filters, if the filter has happened or is, will happen like that spooked me out. The will happen part. And so, yeah, Yeah. thanks thanks for bringing that up again. I appreciate it. So the potential, I think that we've already seen on our planet, the potential that we wipe ourselves because of war or because of, maybe overreaching our carrying capacity. Like, you know, we, we destroy the natural ecosystem to the point where we can no longer sustain life. That's Krypton. Yeah. We invent self-replicating nanotechnology that sort of eats all of the molecules on the planet and something called the gray goo hypothesis. Okay. Oh, what? Okay. Is that like, yeah. <laughs> so nanobots are like microscopic machines made from individual atoms. Yeah. And there's a yeah. theory that, Now, this one's been kind of debunked because of stuff to do with like energy and heat and everything. But there was for a long time this idea that if we built tiny machines that were designed to make copies of themselves, that they would be able to essentially at the atomic scale, they would be able to tear apart literally anything to use atoms to make more copies of itself. And it would just eat all of the atoms on Earth to make itself into uh, a blob of goo. Okay. Then also, yeah, physics experiments that can go awry. Like there was all those worries about the Large Hadron Collider and building small black holes that would eat the planet. Yeah. I know that you and I made a video together ages ago about just nuclear weapons. And it was very funny seeing the TV like 
warning productions at the time were where people were like, look, if we detonate a nuclear bomb in the ocean, it's not going to evaporate all the water on earth. It's not going to blow a hole into the earth. That's going to destroy the planet. And so like you talking about physics experiments that could go bad was very reminded me of that. And it's very funny to look back and go, Oh, how silly those people were being to think that, you know, that was going to happen. But that's not to say that, wacky physics experiments can't cause the end of life. And you know what? You're really onto something there because when Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project gang were about to test these weapons, this was a real worry. And so they had to, and they did reports on this, try to guess what is the probability that this bomb going off will set off a chain reaction that ignite the entire atmosphere. Obviously, it turned out that that wasn't going to be the case. But they had to be like, the chances that that would happen are like one in a million. And the thing is, we don't like our ability to estimate those kinds of things are bad. And every time we come up with a new technology that might pose an existential risk Mm -hmm. to our species, we're going to have to go through that kind of thing. There's a really great podcast on this called Josh Clark's The End of the World, which I think would go into this in a lot more detail. Hmm. And it could be that because of these kinds of things our species just only exist for a finite amount of time. And the issue, the reason why we're not communicating, aliens do exist. It's just that they didn't exist at the same time we did. Just missed them. They wiped themselves out a million years ago. We're going to wipe ourselves out in our future. And then another alien species might show up later. And so it's just we're missing each other in time. Spaceships in the night. Then there's then there's a really funny one that's like kind of one of these ones that's like stupid simple, but a hundred percent. Like I get it. Um, what's the weather like there in, uh, in Virginia currently it is a little rainy today. So we got some clouds still up in the sky. Same here. Did you know that it could be that a lot of aliens evolve on planets where the sky is cloudy. And so uh, astronomy is just never a thing that develops because the concept of there being something above the clouds just never, never comes to mind. That's wild. <laughs> I get it is a little goofy. It is a little silly, but I I totally get that. I feel like being able to see the the stars at night makes you go, "Whoa." There are times when I will go to my girlfriend's family has a beach house and we will go there a couple times a year and just go out to the ocean at night pitch black no lights on and you just see the stars all around you and you just feel so small but if you don't get that it on a cloudy night you can't do that it just looks like nothing up there you know and so i get it i get that sort of like well i don't have that reaction of what's out there because i don't see anything out there yeah and not only in like the awe of the universe but like if you evolved if your entire species evolved intelligence on a world where there were no stars or there was no sky really, then you might not even have the conception of space for a long time. Like it could be that they could be much more technologically developed than we are, but because of just the conditions of their planet, they never thought of the concept of something being above the clouds. That's so interesting. That's so <laughs> every you everything you've talked about is like very scientific and very interesting. It's all very interesting, but this is the one that is so like almost whimsical to me that I really like it a lot. So that more or less wraps up all of the arguments that there are aliens out there, but just something has prevented them from being able to communicate with us. 
You ready for the aliens to actually be here? Oh, I've been ready. I feel like what I feel like we're the whole conceit of this show is we're going to ask that question over and over again. It only took a combined like 90 minutes of recording. We finally got to the premise behind this the ancient is astronauts the show. Table. Yes. So the first one is they're here. Currently. They are here. Yeah, okay. right now. Uh-oh. So this breaks down essentially into two major arguments that they are here right now. Love that. Or that they were here at some point, which I think is the one that we really are. Uh, That's the good building one. This around. Yeah. So the first one is that they are here, that there are non-human aliens that are here right now. Body snatchers. The, f- the first one is that they are behind the creation of the universe. This is the simulation argument. Yeah. So aliens are here. They made this world. And they built us up like we were a Lego. And this is a bunch of different answers. This would be simulation. But also, if you think about uh, from the definition of just non-human entities that made us, this also lumps in all of the answers that come from religious understandings of the universe, mm. that our universe was created by an entity that is uh, beyond us. Sure. That's sort of we are we are uh, little creatures in a snow globe that yeah. uh, that they're that they've they've created or simulated or something. I getcha. Uh, then the other one, this is also probably one that will come up in this show quite a bit, is that the aliens are here and that the government is doing work to make sure we don't know about it. This is womp, womp, This is womp. Area 51. Of course. This is UFOs. This is abductions. This is cattle. This is all that stuff. Yeah, unsolved mysteries. Is there a reason why the government would be keeping aliens and stuff from us? Are they just like keeping everyone like, don't panic. We don't want to panic people. I don't know. Is it something more sinister than that? I have no idea what people believe about that. The major ones that come to mind are one, that they don't want us to panic, or two, that they are planning on revealing it at some point, but they are engaged in a long-term project to sort of sort out humanity's problems so that we are ready to accept their existence. Sure. Like to like when they found Autobots in trans in the Transformers movies where they're just like, we've had these for a while and we've studied them to fix humanity's technological issues, but nothing's happened. Nothing good has happened so far. And then whenever we get attacked by similar aliens, well, they'll have to be forced to. All right. Actually, we, we had we knew about this for a while. Sorry, gang. The problem with a lot of these answers, though, is that they're typically stories that are either hoaxes or mass and misinterpretations. Yeah. A lot of UFO stories popped up in the 1950s, which was sort of the rise of science fiction movies and mm. UFO stories in the news created more UFO stories. Yeah. <laughs> or that's just what the government wants you to believe. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that there were times where there was misinterpretations of technologies being developed by governments in the mid-century, but the government was being opaque because these were technologies they were developing to, you know, fight the Soviets or something. Yeah, the whole Cold War thing. It was kind of a big deal. Yeah. So like a lot of times, like especially like what happened in Roswell and what's going on, what Area 51 most likely was, a lot of what were thought of as like alien incidents or ufos were probably them developing and testing the b-52 bomber the stealth bomber Mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't want the public to know about it because they didn't want the soviets to know about it or yeah spy satellites or a number of things and this is why 
anytime you hear about stuff with like Area 51, like what is more likely that they're hiding alien technology or that they're testing a new weapon that they develop that they just want to keep secret? Probably aliens. And unfortunately, when the government is opaque, it typically results in conspiracy theories filling in the gaps. Right. If you don't have the answers, your mind wanders. And sometimes it doesn't always wander to the most rational place. Sometimes it goes, what's... What's a, what's a fun story that I can tell here? Yeah. And one thing that will come up a lot, and we'll talk a lot about this in this show, is that there's a, a lot of times you'll see the alien of the gaps argument, mm. which is if we don't understand something or if information about something is not public, mm. therefore aliens. <laughs> and every time we answer one, then it goes away and then they find a new thing that we don't know about and say, therefore aliens. Therefore aliens. That's what our podcast should have been called. It's therefore. too late now. Yeah, so we already got the art. It's done. It's done. It's too late. The other answer is that aliens are here. And the reason that they haven't interacted with us is because uh, we are in a zoo. Not so much like a like a literal zoo, but like maybe we're in some sort of version of like a space wilderness preserve <laughs> or like, you know, the, the or there's like some sort of alien version of the prime directive where we're not advanced enough, and so they are under strict orders to not interact with us. I love that. Like, I can just picture on the on the dark side of the moon is a big old sign that says, please don't feed the humans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there are other answers, too, that are a little bit more interesting in this. Like, one is that if we were ever to get, like, a type 2 or type 3 civilization, which are, like, civilizations that have mastered the energy of multiple stars and things like that, Uh that they would have virtually limitless energy and limitless resources. And the only sort of resource that would not be just completely boundless to them is information, Mm. which means that we could be a sort of isolated experiment so that they can watch something to be a source of new information for them to study. So we're sort of like a Petri dish or something. Well, if we were a Petri dish... Petri dishes have to be flat. Is the earth flat? (laughs) Oh, no. You're turning me into a believer. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, There's the planetarium scenario that what we see as space is a sort of engineered project to make us look like there's an illusion that the space is empty. So we haven't seen the communications because the aliens have built something to keep us from seeing Uh, what space really looks like. They're like intercepting them. They're just like, nope. No, 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 no. Do not go to Earth, please. Yeah, that aliens somehow intervene. We're being protected. And that anytime someone tries to visit us, they're blocked. The problem with all of these Uh is you could probably guess that it's not exactly testable to be like, oh, yeah, aliens exist. They just put up a thing to make it look like they don't exist. (laughs) That feels hard to prove or disprove. It feels like it feels like you just take it on faith, you know? Yeah. And that's that's a problem. Like we have an it. We it's a big issue when you come up with an answer to a question that is then impossible to test. Right. Because then um, what reason would we have to believe this answer? I don't because it's cool, maybe because it's interesting, because now it gives us like a Truman Show esque arc. Are we going to make it out? Are we going to figure it all out? I don't know. In science jargon, these are called uh unfalsifiable, Mm. which means that can't be tested, which means there's no way to tell whether or not they're answerable questions. And also in the billions of years we've been around, no matter what cage has been built, there's been no breakdown. Nothing's ever been able to break through again with the nine layers 
of colonization that should have happened so far con- conservatively uh-huh. that all of them had the exact same policy and nothing has changed and nothing's been altered is a little yeah. bit much. Yeah. Plus I would almost say that if we were like the, the dinosaurs in Jurassic park, surely something would have broken down at some point that would make us break out of our cages, you know? Yeah. And, and if there is an answer that is like, we're just preventing communication with our uh, planet and, you know, not one of these like mass illusion type situations. One of the things that's still an issue is we've never come up with signs that there are megastructures. Uh, mm. Megastructures are something that astrobiologists do look out for when trying to find life on other stars, which are theoretical structures that advanced civilizations would build. Because one thing we know is that the more advanced the civilization would get, the more it would hunger for energy. And so it's looking for things like Dyson swarms, which would be like swarms of energy collecting satellites Mm. orbiting a star to essentially capture all of its light. So we haven't seen like just spaces of space that are completely dark, but glowing in like the infrared to see that there's like a heat signature from here. Oh, interesting. But no light. Because if uh, if we were to see stuff like that, we would be inclined to think that that might be uh, an example of an alien life form that has completely harnessed the sun's energy or the same thing can happen with black holes and all sorts of different other uh, stellar phenomena. And because we haven't seen any of those, that also leads us to maybe think that if they're here and they're just blocking communications, that doesn't answer why we haven't seen evidence that they exist out there doing projects like this. Have we ever found a planet made of gray goo? I've heard that's a thing that could happen. Uh, No, but also the scientific literature. I know I I completely uh, just ate the joke and moved on. Thank you for that. I've been throwing (laughs) zinger after zinger over here, and I'm just getting met with nothing. I hope you listeners are enjoying it. God, this is a Simpsons gag where they throw a steak at a dog to try and stop it, and the dog just, like, swallows the steak whole. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what's happening here. So, yeah, there is a science of trying to find other planets that have life on them. The thing is, and this is like something that we would notably say, is that it's still a science that's in its infancy. Mm-hmm. Right now, we can tell that there are planets orbiting a star by checking a, how the star wobbles from the gravity of those planets. Oh, interesting. Most famously, the Kepler Space Telescope was monitoring this. Mm-hmm. And we have found hundreds of what are called exoplanets, including one, uh, the Trappist system, which is a star that has seven planets, I believe, in its habitable zone, in that Goldilocks zone. Oh, wow. Cool. But there are limits to this technology at this point because we really can only pick up planets that are maybe like two or three or four times the size of Earth. So if there was an Earth orbiting one of these stars, we wouldn't be able to tell because the wobble's too small at this point. Mm-hmm. And another thing that we can do is that when the planet crosses between us and the star, mm-hmm. it remits light. And there's this thing you can do in astronomy where if light is passing through a substance, it creates a signature that you can then determine what that's made of. Okay. And there are certain types of chemicals and compounds they are called biosignatures and they are things that typically life forms created for a little while last year we were under the impression that there was some of these in venus 
If you remember that story? I don't actually. That's interesting. For a little bit, we were thinking that there was these molecules that we've only really been able to see from life found in the atmosphere of Venus. But then it turns out that it was probably an error because it wasn't repeatable. Oh, dang. But if we were to find evidence of these kind of life signatures or evidence of pollution is one thing they're looking for, (laughs) then that way you could tell that like this is a planet that's probably got industrial activity going on on it, which is a pretty good sign that there's living things on it. That's fascinating. And this is the most likely way we'll find out like a verified thing that there are aliens. We're going to hear from a satellite that discovered that there's a planet on a star that's like 400 light years from here that has an atmosphere that probably has pollution in the atmosphere. And we'll be like, that's pretty much a sign that life exists. And like, we'll send a message. And if we sent it today, it would arrive in the 25th century. And uh, that's about the last we'll hear about it. Are we sure we want to send that message though? As we've talked about. Yeah. Could be a bad decision. Maybe we wait. Maybe we wait and hide a little bit. And we'd have to have a debate about that. Of course. (laughs) And so there is some of these things that are interesting because some of these might not be the wrongest answers in the world. The U.S. military does seem to have an interest in UFOs. Mm-hmm. UFO doesn't necessarily mean aliens. At this point, I think they're more looking for signs that maybe other countries are building drones to spy. Fair enough. Uh, but like there has been, and this was one of the things released under the Trump administration was publicized that, yeah, the military is aware that there are unidentified flying objects. They don't know where they came from. And there is a project to try and figure out what they are. I remember, was that the, like the footage that was released last year? Yeah. That is, it's so wild to me that if it was any other year, we would have been talking about it. I feel like for months, but then 2020 was like, I'm going to give you so many things to talk about. You will never be able to focus on this incredible alien evidence. I don't know. Is it evidence? I don't know. Let's talk about it. Never mind. Tiger King's out now. So we mm-hmm. have to talk about that. There are some rational explanations for what these are, but it is interesting that these are things that UFO people have been talking about for a while. And then the military is like, actually, we don't know what they are either. And we're kind of trying to figure that out. Uh, doesn't mean it's aliens, but it doesn't mean that it is a flying object that we don't know what it is. Which is, I, I always say in these things, it's not it's not proof, but it is interesting. Yeah. Uh, another another one was the asteroid Oumuamua, which came through our solar system back in 2017. Mm-hmm. This was a unique stellar object because it is one of the rare incidences in which a extra solar object was coming through our solar system, which means that it is a object that did not originate from our solar system. It came from another one. I remember this. People were really intrigued by this one because it did almost look like what we think a spaceship would look like. Yeah. So it was in many ways weird. It was weird um, because one of the things is that we thought it was a comet. Comets typically accelerate as they get closer to the star because they're made of ice. And as the ice starts to melt, it starts to kind of shoot off and it goes a little bit faster. But this one accelerated without any signs that stuff was breaking off of it. Like it was doing it by itself. Or yeah, it's through some mechanism that we didn't understand. Also by studying it, it's ablativeness, it's uh, shininess. Like we didn't really get a good look at it. It came through our solar system so fast. It was actually kind of hard to get a lot of data on it. 
but something about it means that it was either weirdly shaped or really shiny Mm. or both or both. And it's now gone. So we can't really figure anything out, but it being weirdly shaped and shiny has led a few people to speculate that it might be a Van Neumann probe or some sort of like probe because there's a theoretical construct called a solar sail where you build these large reflective things yeah. and these sort of pressure created by the photons hitting it would be a force of acceleration because there's no air in space. So whenever you mm-hmm. uh, accelerate, you just keep accelerating. So you don't actually need that much force pushing as long as it's constant and you can keep having it for a long time. Makes sense. Yeah, there was a 20, 2018 paper on this by theoretical physicist Avi Loeb, who uh, is the longest running chair of astronomy at Harvard University. And he recently published a book about how this could be an alien probe. Oh, so cool. But but don't break my spirit. We're right here. You're telling me we have aliens right here in front of us. Let me live in that space for a moment. I was going to stop here just because this book is just coming out now. So there's some press on it. Okay. But I was going to stop here. And then the day before we were going to record last week's episode, Mm -hmm. I came across an article. I was literally reading it as like I was preparing my to start recording the show. And what seems like it's promising has some interesting aspects, but at the end of the day, it's a huge claim without much evidence, mm. which I think is a big issue. Mm. And one of the most important things that I think we're going to be repeating a lot in this show, which is that big claims need big evidence. Again, Occam's razor. What is easier to assume that this is an alien probe or it's just a hunk of space rock that was just kind of shiny or just kind of weirdly shaped. And we didn't get to look at it that long to really understand it. Well, I think the easiest one to believe is the one that I want to believe. And I want to believe it's aliens. So take that Occam's razor. And the article that I read suggests that um, more recent data has shown that it was probably a chunk of a planet, kind of like Pluto that was flying through. So maybe it was from like a... Something hit a planet that was sort of like Pluto, and this is like a shard of that planet that was like flying through our solar system. A knockoff Pluto. That's not even, that's so disappointing to me. But can you imagine how cool, like like, like a shard of a planet from another solar system just came flying through the I guess, I guess (laughs) that's cool, Tristan. Science is cool. (laughs) It is cool. It's not the answer we wanted, but it was an interesting answer. And I think that that's another thing is that we're going to run into a lot of things that have interesting answers, but maybe not the one that we're looking for. And very many times uh, dishonest people who know that people will click on or buy or watch TV shows about things that say aliens, that if we don't know what something is, we don't have enough evidence to conclusively say what something is, that the first thing they'll go to is aliens so that they can put on their show ancient aliens and your cat is just stretching behind you and i'm like oh so cute like it's sneezing (laughs) hi buddy i didn't even know you were there uh he's the grossest cat he sneezes constantly we have snot all (laughs) over the walls oh no poor little guy Mm -hmm. but yeah so when people don't know what what an explanation is they go aliens Mm -hmm. because it's marketable yeah and the second answer is that at one point in our history, they were here. Okay. Okay. So they were here and they're no longer here. They left because they got bored with us. It could be that it was a probe that passed by, in which case we would never know. If a probe came by here like a thousand years ago, we yeah. would never know. 
We would never know that. And also that there might be probes that are just hiding in various corners of the solar system. In the past, there were claims there was intelligent life on other parts of our solar system. There's still thoughts that there might be life on something like uh, Europa, a moon of Mm -hmm. Jupiter, or people who think that there might have been life on Mars. Uh, For a while, before we had high-resolution pictures of it, there was, I remember this because when I was a kid, this was a big deal, that there was a face on Mars. Yeah. Turned out to be a mix of uh, low-res photography and human brains being really, really good at finding faces. (laughs) We're, that's like the one thing we are scary good at, is we will find a face in anything. Uh, another theory is that deeper in our solar system, like the thing is like there are things like way, way out when we get to like the distance of like Pluto or even further mm-hmm. where there's objects out there in the Kuiper belt, as it's called, that we have no idea what could be there. We have very little mm. information about what's that deep out. There's, you know, some theories that there's even another planet out there that's just like mm. dancing around, but it's just so far away that we have issues telling it and we all we can see is sort of the wake of its gravity. So there's a lot of if there's if, you know, if people are shoving aliens into all of the gaps in our knowledge. There's a lot of gaps where they're going to put aliens into. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, the catch all solution to any problem. You're just like, what's the what's the solution here? What could possibly where have my keys gone? I misplaced my keys. Probably aliens. Mm-hmm. That was the first draft of every Sherlock Holmes book. Was, it was <laughs> Sherlock was like, I bet it's aliens. And Watson was like, maybe, maybe rein it, rein it in a little bit. Yeah, try one more thing. <laughs> try, try, try one more thing. You know how like uh, when you're trying to find a nice title for an article or if you're trying to um, think of ideas that you do like 10 ideas because, you know, the last three are going to be the hardest, but they're going to be the best ones. Yeah. Maybe he was just like aliens. Number one. He had to always get it out of his system. Get it out like, of your system. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> rule first rule out aliens. Then figure out some other solutions. Mm -hmm. The other one, this is an interesting one, is that aliens were here uh, and they're called us. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Please, please elaborate on that. So there's a theory, there's a thing called panspermia, which is to, again, it might be a bit of an alien in the gaps thing, but I'll I'll get into it, which is that there's something that biologists or uh, I guess more organic chemists at this point are trying to answer, which is something called abiogenesis, which is the process of non-biological compounds turning into biological compounds, Mm. which seems really hard. This is sort of the primordial soup type thing. How did did the first life come from non-life? Yeah. What was that spark? This is a very hard thing to happen. We don't know very much about the conditions of the earth at the time when this happened. And It can't happen today or else we'd be seeing it happen. But it's possible Mm -hmm. that the compounds that created life on Earth, because one of the bigger interesting questions about life on Earth is that we have a singular origin. You know, Mm. like if there was a period in our past where life could just uh, generate from non-organic compounds, Mm. then theoretically there would be multiple strands of life. Like there would be multiple life forms that looking at our DNA – or RNA or whatever, uh, we would stem from completely different branches. But But. every life form we study always comes back to us being genetically related in some capacity, which means that as far as we can tell, all life came from one single strain a long, long, long time ago. And it's kind of weird that if there was conditions on Earth that Mm. could make life arise from non-life, that we would only have one. 
And so there's some thought that the compounds, the, the biological compounds, came to Earth via, say, an asteroid from another planet, either from Mars back when it was more habitable or from another solar system. So this is like this would be like an accidental thing. I thought you were going to say aliens came and were just like, here, let's put some of our DNA here and see what happens. But again, this is an alien of the gaps just because we don't understand this period of our history because it's so long ago that maybe we are in a situation where it's just our limit of imagination. And we have been able to, in some capacity, like recreating some of the conditions of very early Earth Mm -hmm. and then introducing like electricity and stuff like that, been able to make some of the base compounds that could lead to organic chemistry. But again, this is a field of science that's still got a lot of questions in it, still a lot of unanswered mysteries. It's It does, it very much feels like a lot of what you're saying is boils down to, we just have a lot of questions and it's probably not good science to, to assume that the answers to those questions are because aliens. Yeah, and it doesn't even answer the question because if abiogenesis couldn't happen on Earth, and therefore aliens, or therefore panspermia, as it's called, mm-hmm. which is still not a thing to rule out. But uh, it does assume that there was life elsewhere. But that's not answering the abiogenesis question, because then how did abiogenesis happen on yeah. the place where we came from? Yeah. So there's, there's got to be an answer somewhere. Well, clearly that came from other aliens, and then that came from other aliens. And then it's just like a, it's just a never-ending cycle. It always came from something. And then there's the big last one, which is that aliens were here and that they interacted with us in the past. That in our historical and archaeological records, Mm. we have evidence that there was alien intervention and that for some reason they left. This was popularized by an author by the name of Eric von Daniken, whose name will show up a lot on this show. I was if he doesn't get ask. his own episode. <laughs> I'm fascinated to learn more. But yeah, yeah, 100%. This makes sense that it would come from one person to be like, what if this idea? And then it just snowballed. Yeah, he popularized a book in the 1970s, I want to say. And essentially... Everything out of Ancient Aliens or virtually everything out of the TV show Ancient Aliens is based on his work and he's interviewed heavily on the show. That's wild. He has written tons and tons and tons of books. Only his first book was really like a huge bestseller, but he has written tons and tons of books just looking at things from the archaeological record and saying aliens. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of the genesis of a lot of this. The abiogenesis. And it all links back to Eric von Daniken. So I have a feeling that it might be good for one of our episodes to just talk about this guy. I would love to. Like he has his life story and uh, how he got to where he is. But he has written tons of books. He's given no proof for any of his claims. He's made no evidence. He's just said, man, isn't this, doesn't this look weird? Um <laughs> But uh, but he has, despite having no proof, has gathered a massive audience uh-huh. of believers in his stuff. Of course. And going into all of his claims about it is essentially the premise of 
this show that we're making. That's where we're, that's what we're doing. We're doing it right now. Yeah. So to kind of bring it all together in many ways, this search for aliens is almost like a lot of the arguments you start to hear in a field called apologetics, mm-hmm. which is like a f- sort of field of theology that has existed for a long time, which is the study of making evidence for God's existence. Yeah. I'm not trying to dispute any of these. Like, I don't want to, you know, if you like your God, you can keep it. But uh, the same types of arguments that come out of apologetics are used to try and justify belief in aliens. They look for science that we don't understand yet. And yeah, they feed upon our brain's need to find agency in everything. We have a hard time believing that things just happen because of natural forces or things beyond our understanding. Mm-hmm. And we're always looking for intentionality and agency. It's yeah. much easier to believe that we live in an ecosystem that's filled with intelligences beyond ours, except to think that maybe we are a tiny speck of life in a cold and indifferent universe that's mostly sterile. Yeah, it, it is really interesting because you're right. They're starting with this assumption that aliens are out there and coming up with arguments that support that idea. And they're almost like building walls around that answer where you were talking about the unfalsifiable claims where you come up with something that you can't really disprove but is that the best argument that you can make and it, it is very interesting to to see that mentality and how it kind of grew from this idea of wanting there to be answers to really tough questions in the universe or we're just really uncomfortable acknowledging that we don't know something yeah that like we can just say this is an aspect of the universe that we don't know the answer to. And we're always trying to find meaning. And like, we're always trying to look for something that makes us feel like we belong to something larger than ourselves. Yeah. And to think that we are alone is very alienating, no pun intended, <laughs> compared to thinking that we are part of some sort of galactic community that has communicated with each other. Yeah. I think that is going to be the premise the theme of this show you know we'll we'll goof around we'll laugh a lot we'll learn a whole lot but at the same time i think we're in this space of uncertainty and there are lots of questions that we'll never know the answers to and i think that's as uncomfortable as that is it is also okay you know, and we can follow our curiosity and ask questions, but sometimes those questions won't have answers or won't have answers in a satisfying way. I'm going to always push for, oh, but what if aliens? And then you're probably <laughs> going to counter back with, well, maybe not, though. But at the end of the day, our, our goal is to help foster a little bit of skepticism, but also a lot of curiosity and and asking good questions and just learning a lot along the way. Yeah. And in many ways, the urge to answer something with aliens will end up covering a lot of amazing, ingenious discoveries and art and theology and mythology of civilizations in our past. And so I also want to use some of these episodes and these claims to say, well, like, this is probably not aliens, but because they were so wowed by the sophistication of something, let's talk about how these people were able to do something so amazing. Look at that. Appreciation for other 
cultures and civilizations, learning about history, learning about science. I feel like I've learned so much over these last two episodes alone, and we're just getting started. It's going to be a fun ride. I'm excited. And so that's the Fermi paradox. And hopefully uh, this will help you understand the mentality that we're coming into this show with and how we're going to approach this strange history channel show that has grown out of proportion and uh, all the stuff that it entails. I know that it's a lot, but I think that starting by letting you know who we are and where we're coming from will make this whole thing feel a lot less like we're trying to cut anybody down a peg or, you know, trying to uh, destroy somebody's butts with facts and logic or whatever. (laughs) That's not us. We're, we're about learning and we're about being, you know, having fun and laughing and, you know, asking questions and it's going to be a fun time. I hope you stick with us for this show. I believe starting next episode, we will actually be talking about the show ancient aliens, correct? Yes. Yeah. I'll find a subject from the first episode or uh, maybe we'll go into Eric von Daniken. I will, I will poke around and find out. Fantastic. I am so pumped to be diving into some ancient aliens conspiracy theories with you. It's going to be a fun ride. And I hope everyone listening also had fun. That's our show, I believe. Yeah. 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 Uh, You should check out our Twitter probs, not aliens, probs, not aliens. Also Instagram. As of this recording, we've not done anything with either of those two accounts, but hopefully we will have by the time that you are listening to this. And also, Tristan, I will get you the login information for those accounts. (laughs) Um, And while you're at it, why don't you go check out NerdSync or Step Back History if you want to hear more of us saying stuff that's not about uh, aliens. Yeah. Tristan runs a fantastic YouTube channel called Step Back History. I mean, the way that you've described it to me is talking about history, talking about things from the past uh, with the context and lens of stuff that's going on today. Would you say that that's kind of correct? Yeah, that's what I go for. Excellent. What's your elevator pitch for NerdSync? Oh, my elevator pitch for NerdSync, I have this memorized because I tell it, I, I, every new person I meet, this I have to say this, uh, whether they want it or not. I say, NerdSync is a YouTube channel where I take comics and superheroes and other nerdy topics and use them to teach about real world history, science, philosophy, culture, and art. And you've been really spending the last year put, making that other nerdy topics do a lot <laughs> it's of legwork. doing work. a lot of legwork. You are correct. <laughs> Talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Talk about Bob Ross. Talk about Scooby-Doo. I got it all covered, baby. Uh, So yeah, uh, as I always say, take care of yourselves and each other. And we'll catch you back here in our little spaceship zone. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Anyway, thanks for listening to It's Probably Not Aliens. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.